Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Larry. Welcome to Manipod. Hi, I'm Melissa Tittle, and I'm taking over this podcast with Mike and Larry. We're going to talk about weird stuff like UFOs and aliens and spirituality and whatever I want. This is my podcast. Brought to you by Manipod.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Manipod podcast. I'm Larry, and that's Mike. And today we have a really special guest. It's a little bit of a departure from our normal podcasts we've been doing, but both Mike and I love this topic. Oh, yeah. Our guest today is Melissa Tittle, host of the podcast Cosmic Cantina, about all things supernatural, multiple universes, alien life, prehistory civilizations, and government (laughs) cover-ups. Melissa has an impressive resume, and she's going to be embarrassed about this. She graduated from the University of Wisconsin with a degree in TV and film. She was an assistant to the head of production at Paramount Studios, where she worked on movies like Star Trek and Mission Impossible 2. And she was a writer on Ancient Aliens for five years. She's also a member of the Producers Guild of America and the Women in Film Association. Wow, I'm exhausted already, Melissa. Welcome. (laughs) Good job. Yeah. And she's only 20. So I do all of that in 20 years. I'm almost 21. I'm going to be drinking legally soon. It'll be so much fun. (laughs) All right. We're going to dive right into this. I'm going to start off where we're going to start in the present, and then we're going to go back a little bit. But your motto is uh, go big or go home. Great, Mm -hmm. great motto. Similar to menopauses, which is live life, live young. Um, but so before we uh, get into your backstory, uh, you have a popular podcast, as I said, called Cosmic Cantina. Why don't you tell us how that got started and what it's all about? Well, currently, um, oh, I just want to say thank you for having me on the show. I, I love talking Great. about weird stuff, especially with a bunch <laughs> of random dudes. So um, this is totally my thing. Well, you, you're talking to Larry right now. So he's random and weird. It's perfect. <laughs> And you're not. Okay, cool. No, I'm cool. I'm cool. (laughs) Um, All right. So Cosmic Cantina. um, So currently my job is I am the head of content at Gaia. So Gaia is a network where we have all kinds of weird stuff. It's it's sort of like Netflix of the weirdness, right? So we have everything from yoga and meditation, which isn't that weird, to government conspiracy, aliens, galactic federation, you name it. We're all here. Uh, so I'm the head of content there. So these two guys were, were all on the side, sci-fi writers, besides the fact that we work at Gaia. Uh, we would just go get beers on Thursday after work and just and just talk shit about all this stuff. And then I'm like, this is a podcast. We should just, we should just record this. And basically, that's what all the podcasts are. We're friends. We do our own research. We have our own point of view. And, um, and, it, and it's kind of fun. We have, a, we have a beer. We have a glass of wine. Some whiskey. What's your favorite wine? Um, I love a Malbec. I'm a Malbec. Oh, yeah. Or a Pinot. Yeah. Um, I love Sancier if it's a white wine. Yes. yes. Um, good taste. I like a good Okay. So she knows her wine. Okay. We established that. So, Melissa, how'd you get in the entertainment business to begin with? Well, I went to school for TV and film. Um, I'll keep this short. I love this question because it's like, where do we start? So my internships at NBC turned into a job. My first job was an editor. I thought it was awful. I'm like, who would ever do this job? I never want to do this job. I'm going to pay someone to do this job. (laughs) 
<laughs> and thank God there's editors because I, I just can't stand it. I'm so proud of those people. And they love it. They love what they do. They, they do. love what they do yeah. and they're great yeah. at it. I was yeah. just not good at it. So, yeah. um, and then I just packed up my car in Wisconsin and drove across the country. I didn't have any place to live. I didn't have a job. I knew one person, uh, moved out to Los Angeles, slept on their floor, and then just worked my way up all the way from the bottom to the top. I think my first year in LA, I had 30 production assistant jobs because they're wow. short. So it's like a TV show here, movie here, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then I landed a position uh, as the executive assistant to the president of feature film production. At Paramount? Yeah, Paramount Studios. And so, and what, there for, for quite so like, what kind of stuff did you do on Star Trek and Mission Impossible 2? Were you coordinating production? Were you interacting with the actors? What kind of stuff were you doing? Well, all of the above. Oh, okay. um, obviously, I'm not on set because I'm in the office, but that's what I wanted because I learned the most about the business, the creative side and the business side by working in that office because it's like, you know, the, creati the creativity part is the fun part, but then you really learn how that, that actually manufactured itself into a business. Yeah. So it, it was awesome. But um, everything from dealing with Tom Cruise uh, to, you know, ordering private jets to, you know, um, somebody's drunk on set, you know, like all, like everything went through that office, which was awesome. Like people yeah. would come and I remember, um, uh, no Country for Old Men. Oh, yeah. Brian. Oh, great movie. How could I forget? I Josh Brolin and... Uh, yeah, Josh No, the, the guy, the writers. Of the oh, movie. the writers, yeah. You're going to have to cut this out. <laughs> it's <laughs> all right. It's all right. They'll be mad now. They'll be mad. They'll be mad. Um, <laughs> we'll do a little voiceover where you're hey, saying While you're your thinking of that, I just have a, a quick question. If I told you I was 5'8", would you say I'm taller or shorter than Tom Cruise? Um, you might be taller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Thank oh. you. Okay. He's really nice, though. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, that, that was mean. God. No, I wasn't You're mean. sending negative vibes oh, out. I don't like it. I said I'm 5'8", so that's already starting off at a lower level, all right? So... <laughs> Right. Back, back up to my story. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so I remember, <laughs> we'll go back to that. I remember when uh, the Coen brothers came in to pitch uh, No Country for Old Men. And I was such a fan of them. I mean, it's like a, like a nerdy obsession. Like I, I was never like obsessed with Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, and you know, all those people who come to our office, we have to deal with them. Um, I mean, they're attractive and they're hot and they're, they are who they are, but, but I'm just a nerd. So I was like, obsessed with these, these guys. And and they were, the, the way that they would pitch, they pitched No Country for Old Men was they would complete each other's sentences. I mean, I know they're brothers, but it was so odd. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, how do they do that? Um, anyway, so I was just like, that was like the only time where I got starstruck. Everything else was like, whatever. It's just yeah. Well, so, I mean, that, that's, that's, uh, that alone is something that a lot of people who go to Hollywood aspire to, right? is to get a job like that where they're working in the industry, learning the trade and ultimately working themselves up. But at some point you realize that maybe you had a different calling where you decided you were going to, as you put it in one of your discussions, change your algorithm. Um, so why and how did that happen? Well, I don't think 
it was because I decided to, you know, change. Like there's, I didn't have a UFO experience or anything like that. I always have been a weird kid. Like I've always been a little bit of a tomboy. I was always into, my dad would talk about this stuff all the time. I just thought it was so cool. Like anything that wasn't, um, anything that made me think outside the box, even as a little girl, I was excited about. You know, what were, you know, could, could the attic be haunted? What does that mean? How do they interact with us? I was just always a weird kid. I was always into this stuff. So when I had the opportunity to kind of leave Paramount Studios to produce, um, got a really old show on History Channel called The Universe, which is oh, yeah. just science. There's no, yeah. there's no alien in that, right. in that, that series. Yeah, it's, it, um, yeah. I was pumped because I got to work with NASA. I got to work <clears> with NASA scientists. It was the first show that they were attempting to really explain quantum physics to the general public in the mainstream. I mean, that's just stuff that they wouldn't explain, but they attempted to in this series. And then from there, uh, the owner of Ancient Aliens, um, the executive producer, uh, saw my resume come across. I'm like, she'd be great for this show. And I just jumped on. I'm like, yeah, great. You know, more space stuff. And then I just never left the space. I mean, yeah. I just literally took off from planet Earth and I've been stuck in space since. But, this stuff. but awesome. I love it. Yeah. Oh, how do you differentiate yourself and your theories from, let's say, flat earthers or creationists or even the uh, the moon landing fiasco uh, deniers? Right. How do you differentiate yourself? Well, um, I have this theory. I, I talk about it a lot when people interview me about stuff is that I, there's a, there's a grain of truth in every theory. Right. Everything. Um, it doesn't matter how crazy it is. Like, I don't. I don't necessarily believe that it's a flat Earth at all. But, but there's a grain of truth in that thinking somewhere. And so instead of looking at things like they're right or they're wrong or this person's totally making this up or this person's telling the truth, because you just get caught in a rabbit hole in this space. And a lot of people do. They they spend their whole life just just telling other people they're wrong and that they're right and proving that their theory is right. And I'm just thinking that's just a waste of time because what is the one thing out of everybody's story that seems to be the same? And then that to me is always the story. So instead of like, I mean, I can have like a private chuckle about some people that I think are a little nuts, but it, for my job is it's why am I wasting my time? Because I'm just going to get more people to, to prove to me that they're right. It it's not forwarding humanity. We're not going to find aliens by fighting about like what exists and what doesn't exist. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember when I was a kid <clears throat> and I was taking history, I, I always thought it was peculiar that you go from cavemen to hunter-gatherers to pyramids that we can't build now. Mm-hmm. And I always wondered, how is that possible? And nobody back then, I mean, that was like in the 1800s that I went to school, um, nobody <laughs> back then was talking about this kind of stuff until... Eric Von Daniken came along with Chariots of the Gods, right? Right. And that was a book that I read in college, and I just thought, wow, you know, I don't know, you know how much of this is true, but it sure seems an interesting way to think. And, uh, and that's kind of what got me interested in all this, you know, as we've talked about in the past, Graham Hancock, and, and I love the Ancient Alien shows because even though sometimes they go off onto a tangent where – you know, I'm like, eh, I don't know so much about that. Uh, <clears throat> they are bringing up things in a, in, in a sort of scientific way where you could say, yeah, you know, that, that's a really good question. Why are there civilizations separated by time and space 
that build the same thing or have the same uh, belief structures or religions. Right. And I think, I think that's the kind of stuff that you, that you uh, are investigating and trying to bring to light uh, on the things that you do. Agreed. I totally agree. I also yeah. want the idea of finding out if aliens exist, which at this point in time, we have so much evidence that, that we just can't physically be the, the only biological beings ever to exist in this, this universe, the X universe or multiverses, whatever. It just, it doesn't, doesn't believe, doesn't mean that you believe in gray aliens. It just means that there's gotta be something else out there. Right. Right. But I also think the, the search for alien life defines humanity more. And that's what we really need to figure out. I, you know, we're, we're circling ourselves with patterns of history for thousands of years. We're fighting about the same stuff over and over again. But the search for life outside of the planet is to define what makes humanity powerful and different from something that's not. And, and the idea that... Um, then it's, it's a one race, you know, it's, it's human race against something else, right? So that, that's like how the human brain seems to, to look. I, I see it as a religion now. Like people, people are really searching. They're like out there. They're like, okay, well, I just talked to the aliens last night. <laughs> they have a message for everybody, you know, right. which, is, which is great. And then maybe well, they did. It's not a whole lot different than when you watch some of these evangelical preachers who talk about the, uh, God has spoken to me and he has told me that I need to tell you this. It's not a whole lot different than some of these aluminum foil wearing people who hear alien voices as well. I mean, I think, you know, uh, there is that conflict of people who cannot possibly believe that humans are not the only life that God ever created. And other people like you and me and Mike who are like, eh, you know, I think there's other stuff out there. Right. Do, do you think that uh, with all your experience, all the years that you've been studying this and working in this, this, this area, um, are there UFOs? Have you ever seen any? Do you know people that you absolutely 100% believe have seen them, have talked to aliens? What's your take on it? I have not seen a UFO. Um, <clears throat> I feel that if you want to see a UFO and in, in it's not that hard. I think just like anything, you know, if you want an angel to show up and talk to you, I'm sure you can, you can manifest that. Uh, yeah, that's a good but point. I, but I, um, so I, I guess I said that not to make fun of people that do is just more that um, I don't feel like I need proof. I feel like they are real. Uh, I've been researching this for like, God, like 12, 12 years I've been researching this. And the thing is, it's, there's so many cases of people who don't know each other, that, that didn't know each other back in the 50s, that didn't know each other back in the 60s. You know, now we have social media. So somebody can say, I saw this, and then somebody can just say they did because they want to join the party. But uh, there's so many cases. There's so many incidents. There is something happening. What, I can't give you specifics all the time because then I'm, falling into a camp of, I believe this. Right. For <clears throat> right. Definitely is something happening. A hundred percent. Wow. And, uh, you know, we, Larry and I live across the polo field from each other. And I see at night, if I'm driving up to my house, I look over the polo fields and I definitely see something above his house. I'm not sure what it is, but there is some alien activity above Larry's house. So 
I don't know how to explain it. I was hoping you would, Melissa. So that's pretty good. Well, I think, I think the first thing you need to do is, is stop the reefer. (laughs) I think that that would help. Um, (laughs) But um, you know, but the thing is, is it seems like as time goes on now, Mm-hmm. There is more sort of legitimate stuff coming out, like the Navy video of that UFO that they tracked, right? Uh, the, uh, Israel, the head of the Israeli Space uh, Force uh, yeah. program or whatever, he came out and said, oh, yeah, the Americans have been negotiating with aliens for a long time. So right. did he have a stroke or is he just saying, I got to tell people about this? There's a guy, uh, uh, he's on all those ancient alien shows, Nick. Nick's Nick, brother. Yeah, Nick. he, he w- worked for uh, British intelligence, mm-hmm. or the British defense ministry. Mm-hmm. You have the guy from Canada who was also in the defense ministry who has come out right. and said, yeah, there are UFOs. So all these people can't be, can't be crazy. Either I'm John O'Hurley. During one of my spiritual journeys in the hinterlands of the Himalayas, I encountered a shaman who spoke only one word to me, manopods. That simple utterance has tormented me ever since until I found Manopod, podcasts for men over 50, chock full of wit, wisdom, sex, health, sports, travel, and so much more. Give me a huzzah, and now my revelation is yours. Yeah. Uh, No, I mean, they they just add more um, credence to some of these people who, who can't explain a, an event that happened to them in 1985 where a UFO was above their car and, and they couldn't talk to anybody about it because then they would be seen as a crazy person, right? right. So those people get to come out and they get to say, yeah, I had this, this experience happen to me and they're not so crazy anymore. Um, government officials definitely coming out. I, I think this is the idea of the slow disclosure that people argue, you know, like everybody wants disclosure. Well, the thing is, is that even if tomorrow president trump and biden held hands and said it's <laughs> real still half the population would just think it was a political stunt right. so the slow bleed into the idea how it could happen how they're here how they communicate with us raising our consciousness level that is how they're doing disclosure from what i've gathered from information that i've been you know writing stories and interviewing people and all this kind of stuff so you think they're trying to keep people from panicking so the slow disclosure is is a way to do that or do you think that they're just finding out now no 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 no, no. they're not just finding out now they're they're doing it in a way so that people are not freaking out it also gives some it gives a lot of people the idea it gives them it gives them something to do right so if we go back to my theory that that this is kind of a new religion. And if, if government leaders, I mean, you notice that these people come out as they leave, right? And they're like, here, I got something to say. I mean, what do they have to win by that? You know? Right. Nick, Nick Pope is bored. Maybe he wants to sell a few books. Maybe. But, but for the rest of his colleagues, he looks like a crazy person. So Correct. why would he do that? Right? Right. right. It's the same. And that's exactly what the Israeli guy says. He's like, I don't care. I have tons of credentials. You can ruin me in the press. I don't care anymore. So what's the, what's the point? Yeah. I mean, the Rand, the Rand Corporation, I think it was back in the 70s, came out with a, a, a white paper uh, about this very subject, about how it's very important that the government not release information about contact 
with aliens because of the worldwide panic that it would create. And so it makes sense that, that they incorporated that into the idea that, well, we got to keep it secret. And then if we ever do have to release it, it needs to come out in dribs and drabs. But the other thing that was, uh, was uh, thought provoking was, I don't know if you remember, Stephen Hawking said, you know, I'm not sure uh, yes. that we should be sending all these radio signals out because we don't know who's going to come. It could either be ET or it could be the guys from uh, Independence Day. We don't right. know. And so what's your thought on that? I mean, is, is you think there's a, a jungle tendency, a survival of the fittest mentality that's universal or is that something that's earthbound? Um, I think, um, alien life is a lot like human life in a sense that there's people that have agendas and people that want to help. Right. And maybe it's a little bit of both. I, I, you know, there's this idea that the aliens are good versus bad. I mean, like, that's just saying that all people are good and all people are bad. Like there's people that might do bad things to you. And, but at the same time, there's people that want to help you. So I, I think, I think if humanity can understand how powerful the human body and the human mind and the human heart is, I think that we'd stop running around looking for aliens to save us. And at the same time, being afraid of something we don't understand. Because we also, we also have to be cognizant of the fact that good and evil as we understand it, is our definition of what life is, right? So in other words, when, you're, when you look at, at the deep oceans and you see that there's all kinds of animals, some are running, some are chasing and eating without any guilt or anything, not because they're mean or evil, that's called survival. And so the question is, would an alien race that comes here and says, man, you know, we need this planet, but we don't need all these pesky ants on here, destroying uh, all the human life would not necessarily be an evil thing in their minds. It would just be like, Hey, you know, uh, yeah, we just like when you clear out ants in your backyard or get rid of pesky raccoons or whatever, it's like, we're not being mean. It's just that we got to live our lives. Right. But you're also scaring the crap out of me right now. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, you know, it's not all going to be the lights are over his house and not yours. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay. Good. (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think that's something that, that we have to... His, uh, his uh, loyalty to his overlords, and you have yeah. not, so you should be afraid. Yeah, <laughs> I for one want our alien overlords, um, <laughs> as Kent Brockman always says on The Simpsons. Um, so uh, here's a question that's a little bit off the beaten path, but since, again, you've been researching this for so long, right. you know, it's something I've been thinking about for a while. Let's say that uh, you were the head of science for a prehistoric advanced civilization, say, call it Atlantis, whatever you want to call it. Okay. And because of your science, you know that your civilization is doomed. Something is happening and there's no way for everybody to survive or your technology to survive. And you know that when, when you guys go down, that Earth is starting over again. Where, where people are going to be living off the land, not have technology. What would be the best way in your mind to let people know when they get of age that you existed? Um, how much time do I have? As do much I have as you like want. 45 minutes or do I have like 100 years until the end? Of the- <laughs> <laughs> Let's stick closer to the minute part than the years. Yeah. Yeah. 
But 45 is fine if you need it. <laughs> 45 minutes? If you um, need it, yeah. It's a tough question. But you're head of the science well, department. I, so. I only have 45 minutes, so... Um, oh, you mean how much time do you have before... Yeah. Uh, it, oh, yeah, I thought no. you meant how much time do you have to explain it? God, uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, oh, no. no. Let's let's say you have let's say you have six. I only heard a minute, being like, God, what would I do in a minute? The whole world's gonna end. No, let's say you have six months. Six months. And it's it's okay. a cataclysm that you cannot, you know. Let's say it's an asteroid coming, and there's nothing that can be done to change that. You have um, six months. I would. Considering if it's Atlantis and, and um, we have high-end technology of right. sort, um, I would build a lot of the um, ancient structures we see today and leave behind codes for humans to figure out how powerful they are. Mathematical and, codes? Uh, both. Mathematical codes, symbols, language, um, connections to star systems, and the funny thing is, is because uh, <laughs> I write these shows too, um, without aliens, with aliens and without aliens, you know, I can do both. Um, the funny thing about ancient civilizations and, and people that analyze these areas is they get stuck in one area, just like when we read um, a religious text, no matter what, what it is, we get stuck on one word, one verse, and then we just, we just, we just it's again, we're like back in the cycle. And I feel like all of us know that we have the answer, but we just keep going back to the same place. And that is why people are still fascinated by the seven great wonders of the world or, you know, go back, tappy. Like, you know, they keep digging. They're like, maybe we'll get to the bottom of this pillar because there's still something we haven't figured out. We just keep looking at these things. Like, why do they build them? And then, you know, every year someone comes out with a new theory um, and they're like, that has to be it. That's it. That's what they did here. That's it. That's all it was. But right. if, if I was the head of some big department of Atlantis, then that is what I would do. Because the only thing that would survive would not be technology like we have, like skyscrapers and stuff. Exactly. It would be stone buildings with carvings uh, and mathematical codes within it so that someday they could figure out how, what humans are capable on this planet. So the thing about that that bothers me, though, uh, it's the one thing that still drives me crazy. I mean, the Egyptians were good at it. The, the hieroglyphs and pictures they left behind are sort of clear. Hey, this guy's on a boat. It looks like he's going to the afterlife. Very clear. Some of the other ones that you see, though, are enigmatic in the sense that it's like, what? You know, and so if you're advanced, somebody like you with your brain you know, you might tell somebody, hey, I want you to carve this on this stone, but make it as explicit as you can make it in general terms, because you don't want to say, oh, well, show them our, you know, Robotatron 3, because they're not going to understand what that is. But you might say, show, you know, depict a city accurately so that they can see what it looked like. I'm, I'm wondering yeah, why there was not more of that. that. I don't think there was enough time. Right? Well, that's the thing. Maybe not. So I feel that the some of the what survives is the ancient structures. Like, there's many debates on how old the Great Pyramid really is. Right. right? So they'll say it's you know mainstream will say something like 3300 BC. Uh, you have other people saying no, it's like 100,000 BC. You know, 
whatever. But the thing is, is that it's like a Rubik's cube. Nobody can figure really, they can't really figure it out. Doesn't matter how many theories, we're all still circling this thing. Like, what is it? How do we turn it on? (laughs) Yeah. Because all the other pyramids are miraculous. I don't know if you've ever been to Egypt at all. I've been to Egypt. I've been to most of the pyramids in the Giza Plateau. Yeah, I've been to all the pyramids in the Giza Plateau. Did you go into any of them? Huh? Did you go into any of them inside? Oh. Yeah, I went inside too. Wow. It was, it was kind of, kind of interesting because you just feel the weight of that, of that structure on top of you. It's very peculiar. Yeah. Yeah. I went, I flew over one or two on my way. No, we actually landed. That's right. We landed in the airport of Cairo. So yeah, we saw some of them. Yeah. Well, you cool. saw that. I actually went like, in. Hold on, you went to Cairo and you didn't go. Well, no, we landed and then took off again on our. No. We were on our way to Uganda or coming back from Uganda. Yeah. So I, we I have, went. I went on a separate trip where we actually were. You know, we went there. We went to the Sphinx and and we went to Saqqara <laughs> and all that. Um, and yeah, I mean, when you look at those pyramids, you know, it, you look at it and and you, I just you can't imagine how those things were built. Again, that whole idea that right before the Egyptian society they were hunter-gatherers, and now they're moving multi-ton stones up in the air 400 feet. How the hell are they doing that? Well, maybe they weren't hunter and get, hunter-gatherers. So the, the, yeah. the hieroglyphs come at a later time, and there's right. a reason for that. So once the dust settles on whatever catastrophe might have happened, this is just a theory, um, that then the old sages that remembered the stories went and put them all over the place, taught everybody all the secrets. You hear this all the time, the idea of mystery schools. Um, you know, Freemasonry didn't come from Europe. It came from Egypt, right? It's, it's like all of these, you know, this idea of the Illuminati, you know, all that kind of stuff is, is rooted in ancient, ancient, you know, I guess you could say Atlantis type of uh, understanding of how the universe works. And, and the reason why they were mystery schools is because uh, religion did not want these people to be teaching this stuff because, you know, we were at a different point in, in humanity. So the, this, this is why hieroglyphs are so amazing because you're like, wow, look at this story. But they, they finally had time and it was safe for them to start putting things on walls and for people to see. And, and here's the thing. You're right. This is a boat. It's going to the underworld. But even that is depicted. What is the underworld? Is the underworld the underground Giza Plateau? Is it literally death? Is it literally the rebirth of the sun? Uh, you know, structure of the day? It's up for debate. Yeah, although the Book of the Dead opens up some of that. So you can, if you can read that and then you can look at the pictures, it's like, oh, I know what he's saying, right? right. But there's, I mean, there's lots of stuff like uh, supposedly under the left paw of the Sphinx is a chamber that they have found with, with the uh, radar sounding. And of course, the Egyptian government won't let them dig down there. And so it's the kind of thing where, boy, if you want to start a conspiracy, that's how you do it. You say, hey, there's a, there's a chamber down there. And I think even Edgar Cayce said that it was there. And, uh, but we're not letting you in there. Okay, well, now. Well, this, this is how it kind of works there. Uh, especially now, they're really cracking down on people talking about Atlantis, people that go there to film and talk about Atlantis because I had to deal with the uh, Egyptian government myself with some things, um, which was really interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I got a little side story. So I, there's a, it's a, it's a terrible permitting process you have to go through and everybody knows no matter if you're in Hollywood or New York or wherever shooting in Egypt is just a nightmare, especially if you're an American. 
I don't, I don't know why. I don't know why it, it seems to get lost in translation, but it does. Um, so once you go through this crazy permit process, then you arrive in Cairo, they pick you up, go to the government office, deal with the Ministry of Culture, um, and uh, this is just a funny side story. So, <laughs> so I get there. I've just been on a flight for, I don't know, 12 hours, and um, I have like a like a onesie, like jumpsuit on, but I have like a massive scarf, like that wraps around my shoulders and my head. So it's like pants, cause I know I have to be totally covered just to be respectful. And um, so I'm sitting down and we're having the, the Turkish kind of coffee. It's, you know, it's like, I'm already sweating. I've been on a flight for 12 hours and I'm just drinking this coffee like for hours talking about what I'm gonna be filming. And he's like, I like you. He's like, you're really feminine. I'm like, okay. <laughs> He's like, because most American girls come in here and they got big muscles and they got tank tops on. And I was like, oh, but I'm thinking like, because that's what all girls in production wear when they're on set. <laughs> I do too. But in this moment, like I'm all like, <laughs> like covered up, like completely. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Like, I'm, I'm not surprised. Right, cool. Does that mean you're going to sign the permit now? Because I'm, I'm super feminine because I'd be great. It'd be fantastic. Please sign. Thank you. Yeah. Did you. Did you act faint from the heat so that they could, they could help you? Uh, but but yeah, I mean, I think you know. Um, those I, have, I have one more point about that. Let me yeah. So I, I did a little side tangent of uh, shooting in Egypt, but okay. So when I was there filming, we got access to the Sphinx because you know they obviously they're like there's nothing for you to go in. So you you can't as a tourist go down to the Sphinx. You can stand above the Sphinx and you can look at it, and there's like um, it's all dug out, so you can stand down and look down at this like dugout, and there's the Sphinx, right? Well, when we were down there, I noticed that there was a bunch of um, pumps around the Sphinx. So uh, basically, you know, pipes that are capped, but then at night, what they do is when everything's closed, they are pumping water out of something. So what are they pumping water out of, which is what I asked our guide. And he's like, oh, no, there was a flood. And I'm like, but why are they worried that it's flooding underneath the Sphinx if there's nothing under there to flood? Right. Um, and then everyone points to, it's actually on my desk right now, there's a, there's a little shaft underneath the back of the Sphinx. There's, there's a little door. You can find it in a picture. Um, I went down there, but it's a very small room because people are like, this is the entrance to the Hall of Records, but it's not. It's just a, it's a tiny little closet. There's nothing in there but garbage. <laughs> Damn it. But that today they're still pumping water out of something. That means there is some kind of, there is a bigger shaft on that they're pumping water out of. Well, hmm. I, just, I hope that it's not papyrus uh, stuff that, that was down there because obviously if there's a lot of water, that stuff's gone. Hopefully it's tablets and, and stuff like that. Right. Um, Hopefully. So uh, one of the other things you talk about, it, it, which is a little bit more on the spiritual side, is the multi-universe and the uh, and that we we exist in in multiple planes at the same time, uh, and then also a little bit of the afterlife stuff. So, you know, with menopause, uh, you know, when we when we hit fifty fifty five, uh, you st you know, and and I think even younger people when they are changing careers or something traumatic happens to them, they start wondering about what's the meaning of my life? Why am I here? You know. And where am I going when this is done? What's the, what's the point of this? Mm -hmm. So you guys explore that a little bit as well. So um, why don't you talk a little bit about that in terms of something that might be of interest to 
to our older gentlemen who are in that mindset right now? Of course. Um, well, like I said to you before, there's only two questions humans ask themselves, and that is, why am I here and where did I come from? So a part of this conversation, uh, most of the conversation up until now has been, uh, where did I come from, right? So you could say, well, my grandparents came from Germany and, you know, my mother's side is from blah, blah, blah. Okay, great. But then where do they go from there? Like, and, and then you know, there's ancestry.com and all of that. But then the bigger question of, well, how did humans get seated on the planet or was it God? You know, that whole, that whole conversation is where did I come from? Why am I here is the purpose of your human soul in this body at this time and what you're supposed to be doing to fulfill whatever it is that you need to fulfill as a soul. And uh, that doesn't mean that you need to be president or you need to run a corporation or that you need to have a certain amount of money or you need to buy a yacht or all that kind of crap. You can certainly, certainly do that. But as a soul, what is it that you're supposed to accomplish? And, um, and, that, and that's a hard one for people because you can get all spiritual with it. And you'll say none of that stuff, ma- all, none of that materialistic stuff matters. It's, you know, you need to, you need to just, you know, be with yourself and figure out what that is. Okay, but that's good. But, but the idea of work and, and manifesting things is part of the joy of creating on this planet and your soul. So um, there need, it's like you come to a point in your life where you're thinking, why am I manifesting this stuff and is it feeding my soul? Do I right. really love being on my yacht because I feel like I've accomplished something, but at the same time, how am I then giving back into that I'm also feeding another part of my soul? So there's a lot of conversations we have about this. Uh, when I say we, a lot of stuff that I produce, things I talk about, whether it's my podcast or uh, whatever, um, is, is, is that there's no wrong way or there's no right way or wrong way to do any of this. It, it's just really listening to yourself. Like maybe you are supposed to feel what it's like to be in love. And that is only the goal of your soul this lifetime. And everything else is, is just on the side. Maybe the goal is to build something, to build a company and, and, to, and, to, um, and to, to watch it grow and succeed and, and watch it watch other people's lives grow and succeed because of it. It's never just one thing. And that's the bigger conversation that you have to have with yourself when it comes to spirituality. And that's, and that's where the boring thing of meditation comes in. Like, you know, listen to yourself or, you know, breathe deep. And it seems really boring, but it has nothing to do about being centered or being calm. Although those things do happen. It's more, it's more about listening to yourself. Okay. I'm doing this because and that's not right or wrong, but now I know why I'm doing it. And that is the purpose of your life. And if you can explain that to somebody, whether it's something that somebody finds like really offensive or materialistic, but you can, you can explain it from a place of here, then you're accomplishing what you're supposed to be accomplishing. Wow. That is deep. Yeah. Mike, but, Mike is uh, Mike is really uh, uh, soul searching right now. I uh, am. I'm going to go meditate <laughs> after this. I got to really think uh, about what my life is about. I love it. But let's take it up to the surface a little bit closer to the boring. What is your favorite curse word? Uh, fuck. Perfect. Okay, because I heard you say shit earlier, but fuck is the word. Okay, I just yeah, wanted to make sure. <laughs> 
I guarantee you, I guarantee you, she, she has, she has said it. She just doesn't tell you. All right. So by the way, what we're starting now, Mike, Mike neglected to uh, inform you is we're starting a, a question uh, session that we kind of stole from the actor studio, different questions, but the same concept that we're, we're trying to kind of get deeper into, into your soul here. So Mike, well, I have two questions. That whole explanation wasn't deep enough. Now no, I, I, I really kind of I, I faded away. Another level. All right. <laughs> you guys just want to talk to a pretty girl and ask her dumb questions. Okay, that's fine. right. That's right. I'm done being right. smart. Done. All right, okay. ask me the dumb questions. All right. So, uh, <laughs> what turns you on and what turns you off? And that's not a sexual question. It's just in life in general. Okay. <laughs> Bullshit. Go ahead. Answer it. <laughs> Mike is the horny one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, what turns me on? I, uh, I love a stimulating conversation. I also love, um, I love, um, um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to put in words. This is such a general thing, but I'm trying to put it in words so it's a little bit more exact. I'm, I'm not like a adrenaline junkie but i like things that like get me going you know like whether it's like i'm chasing down a story or i'm jumping out of a plane or like you know somebody's just i don't know something's happening it's just i don't know have you jumped out of a plane i have Ooh, Ooh. all right so what turns you off then um (laughs) the opposite of that (laughs) um just just boring mundane doing things the same every day Yeah, editing. 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 Yeah. No editing for me. Right. So, other yeah. than this profession, what other profession would you have chosen for yourself? Um, I think I would have been a secret agent. Sounds Ooh. kind of fun. Ooh, there's, there's the okay. adrenaline junkie coming out. Yeah, yeah, I have all the skills. I just probably would have burned out my uh, adrenal glands a little bit more, maybe. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. Um, all right, so... You know, we're talking about menopause and changes men go through. Menopause is very familiar to women and men in terms of the changes that happen. And they're not uniform, but there's no question it's a change. Um, we've, we've noticed, and that's why we started this whole thing, that men go through a change as well. Uh, and it also manifests itself in ways like a 65-year-old guy like Mike will divorce his wife and date a 28-year-old girl, right? Right. Um, so, do you believe? Well, it's great. Uh, Obviously, I'm the horny one, right? <laughs> do you uh, do you believe that that whole thing is real, or is that is that not real? <laughs> you just had, just wanted to ask me if aliens are real, and now you're asking me if if if, if menopause happens. <laughs> hey, we ask all our guests this, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I feel like it happens for sure. Well, did yeah. you see your dad go through some changes? Not dating a 28-year-old, but I mean, yeah, just emotional true. changes and stuff like that? Well, my dad uh, survived cancer twice, so I'm not sure if it's menopause or oh, that's true. cancer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I definitely, um, some older guy friends of mine, I feel like um, there's a lot more sensitive conversations I can have with them versus a younger guy. Yeah. Because they, they haven't. They haven't, um, they kind of haven't equaled out their testosterone yet. So it's still like banging chicks and, and hitting the goal, you know, but I mean, 
Yeah. And I think like when you're older, you still got goals and you you know, want to sex with chicks and stuff. Right. Like, it, it's just not, it's like, yeah, but do I want to waste my time with that hot mess? Do I want right. to think about it for a little bit? Because right. XYZ will happen. But when you're younger, it's kind of like XYZ will happen, but it'll be a great story. And then I'll go watch football and I'll just tell the guys about it. <laughs> wow. You know, man, boy, oh boy. Yeah. Um, True, I do. So what, what things would you like to achieve that you haven't already? Um, I would like to direct either a scripted TV series or a movie. Oh, we have a TV series for you, by the way. Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah I, told you, I think I told you about our, the TV Where series. people jumping out of planes and shooting each other. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's exactly what. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it. Yes. <laughs> They're jumping off roofs instead of planes, but, you know. Yeah. Oh, so like jackass. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there you go. Um, well, that, you know, certainly that's something with your experience that is not far-fetched. So the last question before we wrap this up is, in your opinion, what will happen to you, to me, to Mike, to any of us as we uh, uh, take off this mortal coil and move on? Where do we go? How poetic, this yeah. mortal coil. <laughs> um, well, this is always up for debate, so I'll just give a couple examples of what people think happens. The one thing I can say that scientifically has been proven is that when somebody dies, they have been able to get on film uh, and register on certain devices that an energy presence leaves the room, leaves the body. There is something that, that does go somewhere. And the thing is, is that energy never dies. So that's science, right? So right. if energy never dies, where does your floating stardust go to? Uh, well, now that's up for debate. So is there such things as reincarnation? Um, do you, it does, you know, if energy, energy just attracts to other energy. So that's scientific as well, right? So like if you're just floating around space, like you're going to attract, you're going to attach yourself to something that has like energy. Um, but me personally, I don't think that, that we die. I don't think our souls die. We just find another body to be in, whether that's an alien body, an animal body, another human body, a plant. I don't know. I think that uh, that's part of the soul experience is, is trying to see everything from all angles. And so I, I, I just, I, I feel that you shouldn't fear death. You should just live life. I think that's sometimes why I'm live a bit life of a indeed. junkie is because that, that idea that I could die gives a great period of being so close to the end of my life that I appreciate the life I have. It's not, I'm not really looking for anything. I just know that at that moment, it reminds me that my life is not that bad and that that's what living is about and that there's no such thing as dying. I couldn't agree with wow. you more. Me too. Yeah. Um, so. Right. Back to uh, sex questions. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> well, I have a question for you. Do you know why older men grow beards? What do you think? Uh, I, I don't know. I've actually never thought about it. Don't you think that's a good question? That's a good question. Ask a beautiful lady? I mean, I think it's because they're more distinguished. No. Are that they can grow beards? I mean, some younger guys can't grow beards. That's a good point, but no. Uh, Dr. Larry, you want to tell us why? Well, Mike needs some surgery uh, <laughs> to, uh, to fix a little waddle that he's got here. So the beard is to hide that. <laughs> 
that's why men, older men, grow beards because they either they're afraid to go to the plastic surgeon and have that lifted, so they grow beards so it can hide it a bit. So when they're hitting on twenty-eight-year-old chicks, mm. they don't see it. Okay. Yeah. So before I retire, I'm going to have to fix his uh, his neck. But uh, yeah, uh, when yeah. you're shaking like this, <laughs> go in and get me. Uh, I'll, I don't want to wait for that. So let's do it soon. So here's the thing. I didn't know that. But I just learned something. See? Great. <laughs> we've, yeah. got, we've got so much more that we will be able to talk to. And I think, you know, we're going to ask you uh, in the future, obviously, that we'd love you to come back and talk some more and maybe even get a little more specific. But in the meantime, mm-hmm. uh, people who are listening to our podcast and watching it, uh, go to CosmicCantina.com. and the Cosmic Canteen. I'll make sure ah. we get the thing right mm-hmm. there. Uh, .com. Listen, there's some fascinating uh, uh, podcasts there with some really, really interesting conversations with her and her boys there. And um, uh, you can find Melissa all over. One of them has a beard. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> there you How go. And she's on Facebook, and I think you're on Instagram as well. Follow her there. And um, again, we really want to thank you for this. It's a little out of our wheelhouse, but it was fascinating, really, really interesting, and we really need to have you come back. Yes, and it's not out of Larry's wheelhouse. He's a geek and a weirdo. He loves all that stuff. For me, it's like Mission Impossible, Adrenaline, uh, that kind of stuff, Wild Wild West. That's my thing, but I wanted to it's really, It's really not, but that's okay. Uh, but anyways... <laughs> We'll wrap this up for, for today. Wait, hold on a second. Are you hitting on me? <laughs> Ooh. What? Ooh. Uh, Who, me? Yeah, <laughs> busted. Oh, my God. His wife. His wife's going to really be upset. I've been married for 37 years. How wow. long have you been married, Larry? 30, I've been married for 38 because it's one year more than you. Yeah. I yeah. never hear that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a cycle you go through, right? Where you're happy, really happy in the beginning. And then in the middle, you're like, God, this kind of sucks. And then towards the end, it's like, hey, it's much better. And besides, I'm too tired to do anything about it. Yeah. And he's getting divorced after yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, this is why Jesus. I've been happily married for 37 years. So I'm good. Actually, it's 36. You two together. You like both are trying to like one up each other. It's hilarious. Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's our thing. We're like brothers. We're like brothers. I'm, I'm comic relief for him. Okay. He's, he's funny. <laughs> Uh, so anyways, getting well, back to so getting back oh, to the end point here again, okay. thank you so much for joining us on this and, uh, and then we'll talk to you soon, Melissa. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Hi there. I'm John O'Hurley. Who doesn't like raising the glass, quaffing the ambrosia and telling tall tales with our chops? Well, that's why Saturdays are for the guys. Manopod Podcasts. It's a time to recharge that Y chromosome, boost your testosterone, and spend an hour without that pesky apron. It's Saturdays are for the guys at Manopod Podcasts on your favorite podcast channels. Now, every day can be that miraculous day. Come and join us.